I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? I hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. Mom, do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. What do you die? I killed you with Danny. You did this to me. Didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Listeners, you are listening to another quarantine episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast where some friends get together and talk about a horror movie and some recently watched. We will spoil the horror movie we talk about, but the recently watched, we'll try to take it easy on the spoilers. Um, except maybe we'll. And um, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song intro creature features at the top of the show. You can find the music on uh, Apple Music or Amazon where you can buy it digitally. Say hello to them on facebook where they are the moon dash rays and uh you can say hi to us there where we are chewing the scenery and you can say hello to us on the instagram where we are also chewing the scenery and uh our uh, coloring book is available on etsy uh on screen monsters screen as in movie screen monsters as in monsters um you could buy it there it's the or plan, plan nine coloring book it's Plan 9 from Outer Space Coloring Book, made by your three dear hosts. And uh, I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolian. Hello. And we are joined by Stan Yan. Hello. And Stan, uh, do you want to make it easier on the listeners and just uh, tell them what it is you do and uh, maybe a little okay. bit how we know you? Yeah, um, so I am, uh, I guess, primarily a graphic novelist, but uh, I believe a lot of people know me around town as being um, the guy that draws you as a zombie at various <laughs> comic book and horror conventions and whatnot. 
so I, I do well in my little pony caricatures as well. Um, Sometimes of course I then. Yeah, <laughs> and I know I know all of you guys from different places actually. Um, I know Jolian because we and and Will probably because of the local comic book community, the Squidworks. Yeah. Um, and Jolie and I actually uh, collaborated on a webcomic for quite some time that was kind of like a post-apocalyptic NASCAR race uh, called uh, Revelations. And yeah. uh, I think uh, Richard and I met at Meiniger's, I yeah. believe. Yeah. The, uh... And, uh, and then Richard and, and uh, I also attended these uh, Walking Dead fan conventions called Walker Stalker Con. Um, I guess initially in Chicago, just, and that was definitely a place that uh, I was interested in going because my, you know, a lot of my family is there. So lodging is really cheap and, uh, <laughs> you know, any excuse to go visit them is, is a good excuse. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, and, uh, uh, that, that's my original hometown, which was my main connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me too. Barely. Uh, I mean, I, I was born there, and our whole family moved to Denver when I was less than a year old. So. Wow. Wow. We, we used to go back to Chicago every year to visit family. So, um, you know, I, the, the sad thing is we never did any of the touristy things, really, other than the Museum of Science and Industry. And we did Shedd Aquarium a couple of times. But it was just basically going from one relative's house to another relative's house, if there's a wedding or whatever to the church or mm -hmm. whatnot. And so last year for the first time, I went to the, uh, art Institute. Oh, wow. Yeah. To the museum, which is so good. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe I haven't been there before. <laughs> it's stunning, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And they have the actual portrait of Dorian Gray there. <laughs> the weird thing is it looks just like me as an old guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably looks like everyone's uh, zoom photo in a couple of weeks well i don't know yours looks a little bit like uh emily for some reason oh yeah I, i've done myself up you know <laughs> bit of makeup and jewelry makes all the difference uh, actually it reduces bandwidth if i don't use the video so Oh, should I turn mine off as well? No, no, it's, it's okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. If, if, um, but you're also the author of uh, Zombies in the Basement, right? Yes, yes. There's a zombie in the basement, which is uh, a children's book that was inspired by my son's fear of my zombie artwork. <laughs> what happened there? Give us the backstory on that first. Um, well, so as you know, I do zombie characters. I've been doing them for a while since about 2006, I believe. And so anyway, um, uh, in 2009, uh, we found out we were expecting. And uh, at that time, we had, um, uh, you know, I, I had uh, my studio set up with all my zombie artwork hanging from walls and everything well in that time at that time it was upstairs so um when uh, before he was born and after he was born we were actually renovating um our basement to move my studio down there so that we could use my old studio as his nursery and uh so i just you know moved all the artwork down there so it's all all zombies hanging from the the walls and of course my wife uh, being the concerned uh, 
uh, and kind of, I guess, paranoid parent that she naturally is, you know, she, uh, it's like, well, you know, maybe you should think about swapping out the artwork and, you know, doing something that's a little more kid friendly, like, ah, it's no big deal. You know, uh, most of the kids that I know that were exposed to, you know, scary stuff growing up are some of the most well-adjusted kids that I know. So, you know, if he's exposed to it all the time, then he'll become desensitized to it and it won't be scary to him. And uh, around, I think the time that he was not quite four years old, he just wouldn't come down to the basement one day. Oh. And I was like, well, what's wrong? He's like, I'm scared. And she said, what are you scared of? And he started pointing at all of my zombie artwork hanging from the, the walls. And of course I got that, I told you so look from <laughs> my wife. And uh, so instead of consoling him, I, I spent the next hour writing the manuscript for uh, There's a Zombie in the Basement, which is a book that was meant to, you know, make him uh, mainly, but kids in general, uh, less scared of imaginary things, things that uh, are not real. You know. Well, that's a good approach, I would like to think. <laughs> well, I like to think it worked. I mean, when he was uh, five and I finally had gotten um, the dummy artwork all worked up and uh, actually bound into a dummy book that looked like a real hardcover book, um, uh, I, I came up to show my wife. It was like 11 o'clock at night. There's no reason that he should have been awake at all. And lo and behold, he's there sitting straight up in our bed. And he sees the book in my hand. He's like, Dad, read that to me. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And then, of course, my wife is like, all right, if he can't sleep, you get to stay up with him. <laughs> and so I went ahead and, and read the book to him. And I'm like, did you like it? And he's like, yeah. And then he just rolled over and went to sleep. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, it worked. And, and then, you know, shortly after that, um, you know, I'd finally gotten all my responses back you know, negative, of, of course, from all the agents and publishers that I'd submitted it to. But by that time, I'd been showing this dummy book around for about a year at different conventions that I was drawing people at. So while I was drawing the zombie characters of them, they were reading this book. And, you know, more more and more people were like, oh, how do I how do I buy this? And I'm like, well, you can't buy it. Didn't you even notice that only three of the pages are actually fully finished and colored? And I'm like, well, but you can sign up on my mailing list and uh, I'll let you know, you know, if we get a publisher, you know, what's happening with it or, um, you know, if I end up crowdfunding it. Oh, by the end of the year uh, or by the time I got my final rejection letter from Scholastic, I, um, I, I had people badgering me. I had 2000 people on my mailing list. And uh, so I was just itching to crowdfund this. So I'm like, OK, let's just do it. And. I was able to uh, run a Kickstarter and, and get it published. So nice. This is kind of nice to go into a Kickstarter knowing that what you're creating um, already is a market for it. So, yeah. Now you had initial success with the Walker Stalker cons as, as I did. Um, I remember I, I, I clued you into it because we were, um, like you said, I was working at the art supply store. I saw you were wearing a hat from the Walking Dead graphic oh, yeah. novel. That was like one of four different colors of that hat that I had. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mentioned the, 
the convention to you and you hadn't heard of it. So I gave you the information and we both ended up at Chicago just months later. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was at, at the time either the best or one of the best um, successful shows you'd had. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think um, it was the second best um, just behind um, uh, the first, or actually was it? Yeah. At that time, I think uh, the first or no, the second Denver comic con. So it was like the second best behind that. Right. Uh, so, and then, and actually we went back the next year and it was next, the next year when they had moved it to uh, Navy pier. Um, I missed that one. Um, okay. I, have a, I have a theory about all of that. And, and I guess that yeah. was a disaster because of the weather. My th- Oh no, it was so good. Actually. Oh, maybe it was the that following was, year. Yeah. That was like, uh, we almost beat my best Denver comic con in two days. So the things that we were worried about is they shortened it to two days Right. It was five below zero That's and ooh, it moved it right next to, um, you know, Lake Michigan on Navy pier. Yeah. And then on top of that, they double booked the venue for, I think it was either American idol or the voice tryouts. Um, so you have all these people there for that. And I, I wasn't sure if that was going to take away. And then plus I guess parking is way more expensive there. It's really hard because you're like right by Lincoln park in the middle of downtown. And oh yeah. Everything like that. But that ended up being a good thing because so many people came down just taking public transportation and stuff like that. Um, and in fact, the sad thing was that year um, my grandma died right before we went out there. And so on Saturday, um, I was actually at a, at her funeral for five hours while Stacy ran my booth all by herself. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, this is not going to be good. This is going to be horrible. And I get there and there's already, I think almost 50 commissions waiting for me when I get there. Wow. <laughs> and by the end of the weekend, I, I had like almost a hundred of them and I, I only was able to get, you know, about 30 of them drawn. So I had to do the rest of them as mail outs. Um, and on top of that, Stacy was sick. So I was like, she's going to scare all the customers away because she had this really nasty cough and she couldn't really talk to anyone without like having this coughing fit. So we had everything going against us. And in spite that uh, of that, I think we made um, almost $5,000 in two days. Wow. Yeah. Without me being there for five hours on Saturday. <laughs> I think you found the magic formula. <laughs> yeah, just don't be there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I should try that. Just, just let Stacy run the booth. You know, uh, she really had to go to the bathroom really bad by the time I got there. But, you know, if I provide her with like a, uh, a you know, portable commode in the booth, then we're good to go. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could hide that with some banners easily. <laughs> so uh, lately I've been kind of um, thinking back on, on how, how that particular production company, uh, they seemed to always book things off season in order to maybe get the venue real cheap. Cause why the hell would anyone think February in Chicago was a good idea? You know, <laughs> especially yeah, on well, the lake. I thought it was great because after we went to uh, Walker Stalker Atlanta in October when I, I knew, you know, well, very well that I don't need to go anywhere to make any money because 
you know, I get booked for parties, you know, Halloween parties, birthday parties, and all the, you know, Halloween related things that I could be doing zombie characters at where it's guaranteed money for me. You know, I don't have to pay for a booth. I don't have to pay for travel or anything like that. And we did so well in Chicago, you know, uh, Stacy and I are like, oh, we're totally going down to Atlanta because all the celebs are there. So you're going to have the biggest crowds and not really being familiar with the venue or anything like that. And it actually ended up working against us. I mean, and we didn't know anyone there. So, you know, we're going to have to be paying for a hotel for the whole time. And uh, we made about half of what we made in Chicago. Oh, wow. um, and part of it was just because I didn't realize the convention center there was uh, multiple floors. So if you had people that were standing in line for a particular celebrity on a different floor, they may never even get up to your floor and stumble across your booth, you know? Right. So, I mean, the good thing about Chicago is everywhere they've had um, that, the, that convention there, it was always on the same floor. So um, it wasn't like you could accidentally get put um, in the back hall at the National Western Stock Show Complex, which I guess happened for Walker Soccer for some of the people that exhibited there. Yeah, some did. Good. I would... Yeah, I actually did really well there too, but that, that was also another example of the organizers, I think, kind of getting cheap. Yeah. Because that was like, the, I, I think there were like some hints of things that weren't going so well for them at that point because they had some celebrity cancellations and then you know so by the time they ran that convention uh there weren't like any of the major walk walking dead actors there i think the biggest ones were um you know the guy that played uh, eugene and uh, uh um oh, yeah. what's his name uh the redhead guy <laughs> yeah 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 they, and they, um and, and, you know, th then they never came back again, you know, on top of that. And I think they also ran the um, event during uh, part of their filming. So, you know, a lot of the people that we really wanted to come out, like Greg Nicotero, he, you know, wasn't there. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, I think about that a lot, too, you know, that they really didn't think things through or handle things very well. And they definitely cheaped out sometimes, but as each season started after the first few seasons, as, as each season went by, it just seemed like the writing got dumber and dumber and, yeah. and, and it felt insulting as somebody who enjoyed it at first. It felt insulting to right. me to, uh, you know, to, uh, be expected to enjoy all of these bench warmer characters as main characters and, Right. And really stupid writing and really recycled plot points as being good. Yeah. And yeah, I, like no matter what they did, you know, Carl never wised up and he always went out alone and, and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and there was always the, the new big bad that would show up and the same yeah. things would happen. It was Which, like, God, you know, I think a lot of people like had it when Negan showed up and, you know, killed off a couple of the main characters. But I actually thought that that was handled really well in my opinion and oh. what what uh like people are really upset about it um for exactly the reasons i thought it was brilliant i'm like you should be upset about this and by virtue of the fact that you're so upset about losing these characters shows you that you had a vested interest in how they wrote the characters right and um and you know it just it kind of amplifies 
just how bad Negan was, you know? Right. Now, granted, everything went downhill from there, in my opinion, but, uh, um, but, and then, and then I think by the time Rick left the show, I, um, um, I actually, I, I was worried because I was right at the end of a mid season finale. And then when it came back and they introduced all these new characters and basically it was like a walking dead reboot. I actually liked a lot of these characters, but then <laughs> it just wasn't important enough to, for me. And I got busy and we switched cable services and I just actually, I never watched it again after that. <laughs> no, for, for a different set of reasons. I never watched it again either, but uh, <laughs> again, it started to feel a little insulting. I don't want to stay on that for too long. Cause I know the, uh, yeah, yeah. Cause know, we're, we're here to talk about the shining. I know 50% of us here on this zoom meeting have not watched the show. <laughs> Oh, The Walking Dead or The Shining? The, 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 the Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. Dead. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, all right. Uh, it's it's too much to go back and catch up on, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The, the first few seasons. And there's so many the, good shows that you know have cropped up since. You know, we have only a limited amount of time, and God, Netflix thinks that uh, you know we've got multiple lifetimes or time turners or something like that. Watch <laughs> yeah. Those. Yeah, you're, we're all going to have to clone ourselves just to be able to watch all the content that's out there. <laughs> um, so uh, that being said, uh, uh, the the guys were talking about some recently watched uh, while we were getting you your code to get into the Zoom meeting. Um, oh, okay. But uh, what have you watched lately? Um, there's a show that uh, – oh, and I forget the name of the – of the artist, but there's a, a show on Amazon prime that I just started watching. I'm about four episodes in called tales from the loop, which oh, yeah, is, I wanted to see that. Yeah. So it's the, um, uh, it's based on an art book by a Swedish painter and his, he, he's been painting all these, uh, like, uh, landscapes and kind of small town, Sweden, um, from back in the like the 1980s and uh, maybe early 90s and then all he'd put all these uh like robots and dinosaurs and rusted old hulls of spaceships and things like that oh. in these paintings and it was just fascinating and um so um i just you know when when i power up our service you know the fire stick uh, they always have like things that they're promoting or things that are new up at the top of the screen. And I'm like, tales from the loop. And it was like, you know, this rusted out, out hull of a robot and, you know, some kids walking and I'm like, Oh my God, that is like from that book. And so I decided to go ahead and give it a shot. And uh, they did change the setting so that they would all be speaking English and not have to worry about pronouncing the names of all these towns that they popped into the book. <laughs> But um, so it's in uh, Ohio in, I think it's the late seventies is, is when it's supposed to take place. Cause people still have rotary phones and things like that. Oh, nice. But uh, so like the first episode, I was like, yeah, maybe this isn't so good, you know, because I didn't know where it was going. And then at the end it had like a total twilight zone ending to it and blew my mind. I'm like, Oh, okay. I do need to watch this. And every episode's kind of like that. And for the first three episodes, in fact, um, they had like uh, character continuity, but they never did a great job of referring to the, 
you know, earth shattering thing that happened in the previous episode. So I wasn't sure about the chronology of the show at all, <laughs> but, uh, but then they got back to it in, in the fourth episode and, uh, I like it a lot. It's, uh, uh, it's slow. It's um, I, I saw a review about it that kind of favorably compared it to um, Stranger Things, where um, they said it's darker and it's better. And I kind of agree, because I think that a lot of people feel like Stranger Things is kind of a one-trick pony. They're there just mm-hmm. to kind of pander to our nostalgia about the 80s and, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of build kind of overblown plots around it. And, and this show definitely is kind of the opposite. Every weird thing about the show is very understated. Um, so it's and, not and gimmicky. It's more, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Right. Yeah. So they, they haven't like plopped a bunch of, you know, familiar brands and logos in front of me. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just about like the, the, the fashion fashion that they're wearing and um you know just the way the family dynamics are and and the way the way the characters treat each other um you know a lot of the the houses are you know lived in postmodern houses that were built in the 50s and 60s and things like that right that's cool stuff that's funny because uh will has referred to stranger things as being called familiar things familiar things (laughs) yes Yeah. Well, they are they are kind of pandering to me, so I just still do enjoy that show myself. But it's a very different show than this. Yeah, I mean the the comparison of the you know supernatural plus you know uh, late seventies early eighties is pretty much where the similarities end. Right. Okay. Do well, you ever watch a German show called Dark? No. You should- that out i believe well, yeah, i've on- heard i've heard about that though someone else said that that was something i should watch yeah it was you guys you to watch it on previous episode? yeah yeah i've mentioned it before. okay that's probably where i heard about it was from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i watched that one also and really enjoyed it i gotta i gotta okay. give that one a vote how many for seasons sure. am i gonna have to catch up with there <clears throat> it's just two yeah okay and i think it's 10 episodes a season Okay. Yeah. So, uh, right. but we'll see. The, the funny thing is, watch it with... ever, ever since the quarantine, I've had I've watched less TV than than before, just because that didn't... is fine. Same. Yeah. yeah same. I, yeah. I, I've had work to do. As it turns right. out, <laughs> which I guess is good for all of us. Yeah. yeah. You know, get something done. Um. So. Uh, at, at the risk of having to go back and edit um, the previous banter before you joined in, uh, Will and Jolien, if you guys want to just uh, talk about your recently watched, to go ahead. Mine's pretty limited, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch too much this week. I watched uh, uh, Dave, uh, What We Do in the Shadows Return for season two. Oh, I got to see that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Dave is hilarious. I'm loving that show. Uh Better Call Saul, and then uh, we watched a movie last night called Blow the Man Down. Uh, didn't care for it, really. I like Margot Martindale a lot. That's why we watched it, but the story was a little too loosey-goosey for me. I don't know. It was like a mystery missing the mystery or a suspense movie missing any ten- tension there. Hmm. 
Did you watch, uh, or are you still considering jumping into uh, Silicon Valley? Oh, yeah, I'd like to watch that. Good, good. But again, there's like 400 things to watch. <laughs> <laughs> right, and only, and only so much time. Yep. Anything else on recent? Uh, oh, I watched another movie called Sorceress, which was by the, oh, yeah. the writer of... Uh, of uh, my new favorite movie, Lost Empire. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was on the people who watched this. Also watched that on uh, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That's, that one's got David Carradine in it, isn't it? Uh, no, no, I'm confused. No, I don't recognize anyone in the movie except. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was anybody recognizable. <laughs> and it was horrible. Oh, it was great. Not as good as Lost <laughs> Empire. <laughs> but in the in the sense that it was awfulsome? Yeah. Okay. Awfulsome indeed. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. How about you, Jolian? What was the recently uh, watched? Well, we finished watching the Japanese Spider Man show and uh, uh, I've been watching some of the you know, uh, there's a Toei Tokusatsu channel on YouTube. Uh, where they put up um, the first two episodes of a whole bunch of their superhero shows. And, uh, uh, and then you have to subscribe to see the rest. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're good to watch while you're exercising. There's, I can time things off from them. <coughs> and, yeah, you know, I know I can get, get off the treadmill after the first advert break and then I'm good, you know. No. Yeah. I, I thought you meant because of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> some of them are pretty formulaic. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking for me. Um, and then uh, we've been watching, uh, they put up the fifth and sixth seasons of uh, an anime series from the 80s called Saint Seiya, uh, which is huge in South America. Um, but it, it's like a... a what if the mighty Thor was much more homoerotic? Uh, there's much more suffering. Uh, it was, you know, it was all about uh, determination and uh, clashes of philosophy and uh, uh, cosmic awareness. And it, it's really addictive. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's well over a hundred episodes. And they, so they've just put up the final two seasons on uh, Netflix. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing, like most of season five, when I was in Japan, I, I caught it and wondered what the, you know, what this crazy show was. Uh, it's got a great score. Um, you know, um, it's, it's quite good looking. But um, anyway, and then the, uh, I've watched odd, odd films. Uh, the only horror movie we've watched, uh, like last Sunday was Easter. And uh -huh. so I asked Emily, uh, what she wanted to watch and, and bless her. She said, let's watch a zombie movie. Ah. Uh, Cause it's all about coming back from the dead, you know? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I got out one, which does one of the virus zombie movies. Uh, and, uh, in England, this was released as zombie creeping flesh. Uh, but it's known by many titles. Uh, it's also known as virus. Oh, like, oh yeah. Uh, so one of at least three films I can think of by that name. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not the one I'm thinking of then. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a Japanese disaster movie from 1980 called Virus, and then there's a Jamie Lee Curtis one about robots on a ship called Virus. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, this one's also known as Hell of the Living Dead. 
Hello, the Living Death, Night of the Zombies, uh, Cannibal Apocalypse. So this one is directed by Bruno Mattei. And this one is about uh, the first fold comes up with this uh, program called Operation Sweet Death. And uh, to to reduce uh, what they see as the excess world population, i.e. the third world, uh, they... Uh, they've come up with this virus which turns people into uh, cannibalistic zombies. And uh, and this backfires. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically you, you end up with this... Uh, That's non-fiction, right? Uh, I think so. It's becoming more true day by day. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you get this SWAT team who uh, look like they were trained by the Three Stooges and they, they team up with this uh, TV reporting couple and uh, they're somewhere in Papua New Guinea and uh, uh, their, their mission is to go to the uh, what they call the head of the river where the factory is that manufactures this stuff and uh, and retrieve the documents and hide all trace um, but of, of course various things happen on the way and uh, uh, yeah it all ends very badly and uh, I've watched this dumb, stupid, extremely gory movie at least three times. <laughs> <laughs> and then you it's, bought uh, it on Blu-ray. You had to watch it several times, huh? Yeah, it's very entertaining. It it, uh, it doesn't exactly rip off the score from uh, Dawn of the Dead. Is just take the score from Dawn of the Dead and put it over it. Oh! It just straight up nicked it. And they also use uh, some Goblin scores from, uh, I think, Blue Holocaust. Um but uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's, it's gross, stupid fun from beginning to end. Hmm. So there you go. So that's your recently watched. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the last horror movie I watched. Anyway. Ah. So um, uh, Netflix stuff that uh, that kind of popped up recently that I that I gave an attempt to. First of all, I should mention that we've been. Uh, uh, getting through the latest uh, season of Ozark and enjoying that. Um, Finally wrapping up Silicon Valley. I think we have an episode or two left to complete the series, but um, on my own, I saw something I wanted to check out that was um, sort of on the suggested little banners on um, Netflix, which was the devil and father Amarth. And this is about a guy in Italy who's doing like his ninth or so exorcism. And this is directed by William Friedkin uh, of the exorcist fame. And I thought, well, I'm going to go along with this. It's a documentary. I'm going to see what it's all about. I couldn't get past this horrendously, ponderously long scene of the, um, the father doing a, uh, an exorcism on this woman in Italy. And they put... Uh, just some sort of a um, chorus effect on the woman's voice, obviously. Now, I, I guess some people have, have uh, sworn that there was no effect on her voice, but I think he's, I think Friedkin's just trying to, um, you know, keep us aware of the whole exorcist vibe. And uh, it, the scene went on for so horribly long with the same things <laughs> happening over and over. And it's like, he says something, he's holding her arm and she shouts at him and it's just got this crazy reverb sound on it, this chorus reverb effect. And Does it I, sound like a Gene Simmons in Kiss, 
<laughs> kiss, the me, kiss meets the phantom of the park or yes uh, <laughs> it does kind of sound like that and i'm not believing it just sorry i'm not uh so i stopped it and uh came back to it fast forwarded the scene was still going it's like that's got to be a solid third third of the movie i'm gonna go ahead and finish it just to see where it goes um, and then I watched a series on uh, Netflix called America's Book of Secrets, which is about like, do you know what might be hiding under Fort Knox? Well, you know, it's like the, there's, there's, there's dark secrets about uh, who, like maybe the gold is gone and we did this with it and all this crazy stuff. And it's like, cool, I'll, I will put that on while I do other stuff and uh, enjoy their, their crazy theories. That's about it for me. So, uh uh, since we're segueing into The Shining, yes, that thing about Fort Knox plays into The Shining, doesn't it, Stan? Yay! <laughs> Stan is holding up a uh, a can with the twins and the yellow poster on it. Yes, and I, I have uh, a, an issue with the whole idea of the Grady twins because. Uh, I think they were introduced kind of as twins in uh, Kubrick's loathed version of The Shining. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Stephen King has made no secret that he's unhappy with that. Right. But then, because, uh, uh, you know, if you read the novel, they're not twins. They're six and eight years old. Well, that's what Stuart Ullman says. But could he yes. be could he be wrong? I don't know. He's, he says they're eight and ten, doesn't he? He does. Or, or, yeah, they're they're not twins, but basically, and then and then you get to um, um, if you look on the IMDb credits for casting on Doctor Sleep, which clearly more recent uh, movies, uh, Stephen King has more creative input, right? They're they're called the old the uh, the Grady twins in the in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in, in in the book, they're definitely uh, noted as twins. In the uh, movie, uh, Stuart Ullman says that they're. Um, let's see, is that how that works? The characters in the book. Are they in the book? No, they're they're they, sister- they're mentioned. They're mentioned. They they don't actually show up though as ghosts. They're, they're they're mentioned. I've been so long since I read it because I read it when I was fifteen. And I hadn't read it since, and I just read it uh, a couple of months ago. Oh wow! And and so I was expecting there to be ghost girls, and there weren't. They were just mentioned. Oh, so how old were you when you first saw the movie, Stan? Um, I had to be about twelve or so, I think. That's just the right age to see this. <clears throat> so it was. It was. Um, it wasn't in the theaters. It was uh, on VHS, and I don't, I don't even remember who rented it. Because um, uh, whenever we went to Chicago to visit my uncles, uh, and he, you know, my uncle Wynn was like the first person that I knew that owned a, v- uh, a VCR. Yeah. And so the first time we went over there, he's got the VCR, and um, uh, you know, it was always horror movies too, and so he rented. Um, the exorcist and that's when i saw the exorcist this was when i was nine yeah and he rented um american werewolf in london and howling so i watched those over and over and over again when he was at work while i was nine nice 
<laughs> that's that's how you do it. That's a that's yeah. a cool uncle for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and my the my my favorite memory of that whole thing is because the first time we watched them all all the way through, like the whole family is in in the basement, which which is is kind of like a nineteen seventies finished half finished basement with uh, a bar in it, you know. So when they had parties, that you could be serving liquor at the bar and stuff like that. Sure. So we're all crammed in there and uh, we're watching the howling and there's a scene where they cut off the, the werewolf's leg and it transforms back into, you know, the human hand, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so my, my uncle sneaks up behind my sister with a rubber dishwashing glove and starts blowing into it right next to her face <laughs> to make it like like the hand that's shaken uh, in the movie, and she just screams and jumps out of her seat. <laughs> that was one of my most uh, favorite moments about movies in his basement. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, so that that's a uh, that's a very standard uh, Chicago area basement situation where it's half yeah. half finished and has a bar in it. Right. <laughs> Which, but I, I'm wondering whether the first time I saw The Shining was at his house. I'm not. I can't remember for some reason. But yeah, yeah I was right around that age. Yeah, um, I've mentioned it on the show before, but uh, my dad was from the um, the generation that saw the second run of the Universal Studios monster movies when he was a kid, and uh, you know he obviously wasn't a kid in the 30s, but uh, you know in the um, late 40s uh, through late fifties, you could go see those things on an, another run in the theater. So his idea of a monster movie, a horror movie was the Wolfman yeah, and things like that. You know, maybe some stuff that you saw on TV that maybe you didn't see in the theater that uh, were some sci-fi and horror stuff. He took the whole family to see the shining. And I was probably about 12 when it came out <laughs> and my younger siblings were children so he, he thought, oh, it's going to be a scary movie. It's got that guy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And, uh, you know, Easy Rider. He's kind of nutty. Let's go see that. <laughs> the previews look like, oh, it'll be a good kind of scary house situation. And it was, I think, relatively damaging to my younger brother, who was <laughs> he was probably six or something at the time. Oh, my. <laughs> So yeah. Did he have to leave the theater? <laughs> no, but he was terrified of the bathtub after that. <laughs> so he ended up being the smelly kid, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bathroom was a very scary place after The Shining, but uh yeah, it was uh it was really weird to see that because it it worked for me. I enjoyed it. I mean, I I was already into uh, scary movies from the time I was really little. Um and uh that one worked on so many levels and it was like nothing you'd ever seen before by the time you know you'd seen all the horror you could see this one was on another level you know the uh the the television edit of the exorcist didn't even touch the cinematic viewing of the shining so there was there was a tv version of the exorcist (laughs) well they did they did an edit of it at some point in time it, it was just bad it's probably like the radio edit of uh, Rage Against the Machines, uh, Killing in the Name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good fun. Jolien, uh, when did you get to see The Shining for the first time? 
think it must have been a TV edit in England, which is ridiculous because uh, it was already 20 minutes or so shorter than the US version. Right. Wow. Uh, they cut a lot of the, you know, introductory walking around the hotel parts, you know, and as well as the violence, uh, right. which, is, which there's not that much of. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty weak experience. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't that keen on it. I love the book. Uh, so, yeah, when I finally got to see it uncut, it was, it was great. Oh, yeah. It's a different, completely different uh, piece of art <laughs> between an edit and uh, a full-length uh, version of it. How about you, Will? Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, Julian. Go ahead. Uh, I, I just had to wait for it to come out on, on uh, home video in some format that I could see it properly. Yeah. You know, at, as, as properly as, as a home experiences. Yeah. If you're lucky, it's letterboxed and you know, mm-hmm. you can see the whole thing. So yeah, but now, now I've got this beautiful, like the 4k edition is great. Yeah. And Ooh. I, yeah. All I've got is the VHS. <laughs> <laughs> well, surprising because you, you like it so much. I do, but I don't get to watch it very much with a okay. child of the house. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I have that, I really haven't watched in 10 years. Mm, that'll happen. <laughs> so Will, was it, was this one of the video store uh, situations for you growing yeah, up? Yeah, I probably saw this about 11 or 12 too on video. Uh, I was not a fan of it till much later. Uh, I think I was probably in college when I watched it and uh, again and, and really liked it. First time I watched it, I did not think it was scary at all. Right. No, there's there's not a lot of uh, jump scares or kills in this movie. No. Yeah, exactly. There's like I remember seeing the uh, trailer though when that was on British TV because uh, that I thought, oh, this must be terrifying because it was like him with the axe and the snow and the, the massive yeah. building and and it and it centered on a little kid. Yeah, which I was at the time. Uh, yeah, I thought this would be unbearably scary. Yeah. And it turned out that, uh, yeah, it had a lot more to do with slow reveals and dread. And yeah. and something that I think was... what I like anyway. Yeah. And, and something that I think a lot of people would miss if they're watching this thing at 9 or 12 years old is, like, how did Stanley Kubrick kind of construct this whole thing visually? You know, and that's the thing that... <laughs> that uh, we learn as we get older and then go back and rewatch his movies and, and understand well, them. And, and the thing that really occurred to me was actually the, the way he handled sound and music. Oh, definitely. So I thought that was as much of it that, as it was visually and the visuals were fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is, this is something that um, if you were to take this movie and remove the soundtrack from it and just put some standard sounding music in its place or, or have someone else try to score the thing. It just wouldn't work. And, uh, we were, we were talking, uh, before you joined the zoom meeting that, um, Christoph, uh, Penderecki, the, the, uh, Polish composer, um, he just died at the end of March. Uh, oh, no. not from, the, not from the virus, but, uh, from a uh, prolonged illness, whatever it was. Oh. Uh, he was 86 years old, but, um, yeah, that, that stuff was, uh, was not 
made for a horror movie, but sure sounded like it was made <laughs> not just for a horror movie, but this horror movie. It just really worked. Um, but uh, yeah, very, very memorable stuff. And uh, I actually have that one on vinyl. That was a gift that was given to me. That oh, really? I, yeah. That I, it's like, I don't, I don't want to put it on a bad record player. I have to wait till I have something better to play it on. But mm. It's pretty stunning. And uh, Wendy Carlos did uh, a lot of this music as well. Yeah. Um, that was one that I read a little bit about. Uh, was it, it was, was it a, a man and a woman? And then the, the one, yeah. then the man is later transitioned if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. She, she worked with Kubrick on uh, Clover Orange. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and you can hear the DSRA theme in both films. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a, a little bit that did get, um, as far as footage. And I don't know if this is uh lore or if this is, uh, something that really happened, but apparently, uh, some of, some of the, um, some of that sweeping helicopter footage was uh, used by Ridley Scott at the end of Blade Runner. Oh, huh. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that when I mean, it, it seemed really out of place, honestly. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that at the end of the movie, when you realize that not everything looks like, you know, uh, polluted Los Angeles or whatever, that's apparently a thing that happened, but. I always remembered that at the end of Blade Runner where you see that, oh, here's wilderness. It still exists. And I, yeah. I guess it was just outtake footage from uh, stuff they shot for The Shining. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I know that happens at the end of uh, Brazil. They have this kind of swooping out into the countryside and you realize it's not all the city. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of nice. Or, or is it? Or <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit ambiguous all we had <laughs> we just uh, shoehorned it in <laughs> yeah so um as far as the rewatch uh stan you haven't watched this with a with the uh commentary on top of it have you i have not because all i have is the vhs oh okay so, so all i have i mean and granted I've, I've kind of revisited like i said i reread it um and and a part of that was because um I actually kind of abandoned Stephen King for a while because I was just so sick of his writing. Uh, but then Dr. Sleep came out, and which was a sequel to probably my favorite book of his. So I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot and, and read that. And, and I saw the movie, and then, of course, I had to go revisit The Shining again. So, And how did you feel about the uh, – well, you read the book, Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Uh, well, did, I saw the movie as well. Okay, so how did you feel about the movie? Not as good as about the book, but for me, the book wasn't even uh, a horror to me. It was really more about, um, uh, you know, Danny's substance abuse problems. And and then, of course, you know, just the, the thing that one of my pet peeves with, with uh, Stephen King is like every story that he does degenerates into the epic battle between good and evil. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there's always a main character who's a writer. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Which I have less of a problem with than, you know, the other stuff. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the movie, I, I think the movie plays out kind of 
like I mean, but they're trying to play into the whole, um, uh, you know, that it's that The Shining was a horror, so they want to make sure to amplify the horror horrific aspects of, um, you know, what he'd written about. So when I was re- reading it, it, it certainly didn't uh, seem to me to be very horror-ish, which is fine because I actually like Stephen King's um, non-horror writing better than his horror writing. <laughs> well, sure. I, I think a lot of people will watch a movie like Shawshank Redemption or, or read the short story it's based on and uh, right. and then uh, have to remind themselves that it's a Stephen King. You know? Right. <laughs> because it's but, but, you know, I just know too much about him and, and his relationship with the movies that he's made. So I couldn't, you know, go into Dr. Sleep uh, the movie or the book without this jaded eye about things that, you know, he, he was always irritated by about what I thought was a phenomenal movie. And then basically take stuff that Kubrick invented that wasn't in the original book and plop it into Dr. Sleep anyway. Yeah. And that's just sort of a, a hypocritical uh, yeah. move on his part, but um <sighs> What are you going to do? I mean, what do you, what do you do? Turn around and just remake the whole thing using Brian from wings. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could do that. Um, as was, far, it, was he the one that was in the miniseries? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yes. Yeah, I've got a few gripes about that too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Steven Weber. Um, so, uh, Will and Jolien, have either of you uh, like watched the uh, behind-the-scenes um, stuff that uh, Kubrick's daughter filmed? Yeah, I watched that uh, this morning. How'd you like that? Uh, it was okay. Watching Jack warming up, you know, going kind of nutty with his axe and stuff like that. Yeah, brushing his teeth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Axe? Yeah, he, he was talking about how... He brushed he, the teeth at the beginning because he's like, I, you know, I consider it for my fellow actors. They don't need to be hit in the mouth or in the face with, I don't know, bits of food or something. Bad <laughs> bad breath or whatever, yeah. There was yeah. plenty of saliva I, I noticed in his match. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that could always be worse. Um, I thought... Well, it was, that, that, that's been... Uh, that, that's right after the scene where he's abused his child. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which seems to be kind of the, the theme of this is, uh, is a guy who's, who's, um, struggling to keep his, his demons under control and then going into a place that is populated with demons or draws his demons out of him. And, uh, and really, it doesn't seem like he's going to do very well in that environment, no matter what he does. But we're well, we're not really given clear instructions on what to think on that either. Like, is he a reincarnation? Um, is he being influenced by ghosts? Um, is he returning to the place from whence he came? I mean, when well, I think uh, uh, in the West, uh, ghosts tend to be uh, uh, a time loop. We have uh, spirits that are stuck in a place and they're repeating something over and over. Yeah, it's like yeah. On, it's on yeah. a loop almost, yeah. Uh, so uh, the Overlook, uh, watching it again, it feels like uh, 
it's an extension of that. It's like the whole area is um, is this loop of uh, evil things happening over and over again, and he's stuck in it. He's that's why he's been there before. It's so familiar to him. Um, it's uh, it's um, you know it's as much as his his uh, his unconscious as his conscious. Um, so that kind of makes sense, more sense of why he seems so nutty right from the get go. <laughs> Because uh, you know he's he's this is not his first time going through this uh, trauma. Yeah, he is trying to keep his vices and his crazy under control. <laughs> and when he's driving yeah, them it, up there, you get to see the the wacky eyebrows and him telling a kid about about the Donner Party. <clears throat> which, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, I, I think that when I was twelve, I mean, I I definitely didn't get that you know level of depth out of watching the this movie. But uh, but I I liked it just because of all of the unanswered questions and yes. you know, any movie that makes me sit and think about well what what did I just watch and what exactly happened here <laughs> and just things that uh, were weird and creepy like you know he ends up being in one of the photos from turn of, turn of the century photos and uh, and the fact that uh, it's you know not just Danny that can see these things at some point, you know, his mom sees it, and, you know, certainly his, you know, dad's been seeing these things all along, but won't admit it. <laughs> right. Now, when, when you're watching this, do you have to wonder, are they all being driven mad by what's driving him mad or being driven mad by him or are they really seeing this stuff? That's the kind of the, the questions yeah. that I'm always asking myself when I'm watching this is Wendy right. really seeing this room full of skeletons? You know, is she right. really seeing the guy in the dog costume or bear costume, whatever you believe it is. Well, for me, it was like, you know, uh, Danny's got the shining. So that's why he's seeing the ghosts. Yeah. And dad is, you know, fighting his alcohol abuse. So he's not really in his own right state of mind either. And, you know, so, you know, through most of the movie, you can kind of just say, okay, well, Danny's is related to this. His is related to substance abuse with the exception. But then, but then you get moments like with the, uh, uh, the old lady in the tub (laughs) where they both saw the same thing, you know? Right. And, And that's when it starts to, you know, those are the kinds of things that I just, I just loved that, uh, the unexplainable, you know? Maybe that's why, as as a horror movie or or a horror story, uh, Doctor Sleep didn't didn't work very well because, you know, I, I think that Stephen King does want to explain everything to us to show to show you how brilliantly he mapped out this world and and everything in it. And I don't want that, you know. No, I don't need to know everything. No. Um, is anyone experiencing any cabin fever right now from uh, the quarantine? yes combined with the snow oh god <laughs> yeah we you know, east us with like a 70 degree day and then it snowed yeah so. yeah it's it's complete insanity and uh yeah that the snow gets to be more and more spirit crushing as you're experiencing 70 degree days here and there and expecting it to be spring or even summer it every time it happens it's just too much <laughs> i, I kind of liked it honestly did you uh, <laughs> i don't understand you 
<laughs> I also like driving in the snow too. <laughs> you know, when, I don't mind that. Yeah, driving in it's it's the other drivers you have to worry about. But right, right yeah, yeah. But the the only uh, disappointing thing about the snow is like you, you look out and your your fruit trees are blooming and you think, oh, we might get some fruit this year, and then the snow comes back and oh well. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it drops down to 17 degrees at night, and yeah, it, it, it's going to probably kill off all those little blossoms. There's only so much you could try to do about it. But um, yeah, so this um, this whole concept of uh, cabin fever may be playing into uh, Jack's madness. I think as the viewer, we kind of sort of are, we should be able to dismiss that as no, he he was probably going to go crazy, even if there were you know, other people around or anything, you know, I think that's what the uh, foreshadowing is with the, his story about the Donna party, because that's another group trapped up in the Rockies goes crazy. Yeah. I I don't know why they refer to the Donna party instead of the Alfred Packer story, because that's more local. Yeah. 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 It really would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. For sure. That's just bad research on Stephen King's part. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and uh, the uh, the cafeteria at uh, is at CU yeah. at CU, yeah. CU Boulder, mm-hmm. yeah, Packard uh, Barn Grill or something like that, or uh, cafe. Yeah, they yeah, they make mistake of uh, asking students to name the uh, cafe. Yeah, so they named it after a cannibal. Yeah, <laughs> so which actually is uh, um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Uh, I think one of their senior projects was they created a, a music called Cannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which originally was uh, Alfred Packer, the musical, because of the cafe, you know? Right. <laughs> well, it was inspired by that. Things are a little different around here. Like every once in a while, you'll hear somebody on a podcast talking about how uh, there's conspiracy theories around the Denver International Airport, but then they they inevitably get around to talking about Blucifer, our big blue horse out by the airport. Right. But half the time they don't even know about how it, how it toppled off the supports and crushed the sculptor, right. <laughs> which I don't think you can mention that too many times on our show. Yeah. Anyway, this is probably the third or fourth time it's come up, but uh, you know, things are definitely a little different here in Colorado. I got to say, yeah. you know, we got our cannibals, we got our haunted hotels, we got our artist killing sculptures and our lizard people living under the airport. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, they, that's that, that you were originally referring to about the misplaced Donner party. Uh, I thought was kind of interesting that he would be talking to his um, son about that. I mean, what what is he supposed to be like five years old or something like that? Yeah. Five yeah. or six. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just a different time or, you know, well, so, but you know, I, then I think about me as a parent and, and I'm like, well, okay, I, I can give him a pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, we grew up on the old uh, horror movies when I was a kid. It was like, there were no restrictions on us watching whatever was on, Saturday afternoon or Friday night or Saturday night, we were allowed to watch whatever was on the television. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, in my parents, uh, would routinely take me to go see, uh, 
really violent movies, rated R movies, mostly martial arts and stuff like that. Well, sure. So I got to see all the Bruce Lee movies and, uh, uh, of course, everything was good until they had the topless woman because they always had like one topless woman in every episode of his movies. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Covered my eyes. But, you know, when they're disemboweling each other and stuff like that, then you know, it's all it's all good. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's perfectly fine. You can't see what's on the outside of a woman's torso, but you could see what's on the inside of a man's abdomen. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's a strange double standard but okay you know it's right. it's a different parenting style uh, maybe you know that might explain all of my weird fetishes then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh yeah i think there's a whole there's a whole generation um of guys who just grew up on uh, the old 1966 batman series that just like you know cat women more than we might normally <laughs> you know given a different childhood with a different set of uh tv shows yeah it probably explains a lot about rob zombie you know the kind of stuff he was fed as a kid possibly yeah i don't know i mean there's there's certainly a whole bunch of uh, uh artists and and uh directors that uh I, i'm sure glad have an outlet <laughs> oh for sure yes i wouldn't want to know you know what they'd be doing without an outlet yeah you don't want them to be serial killers instead um yes. are you familiar um i'm sure at least a couple of you guys are familiar with the, the the fact that so little of what you see on the screen in the shining is an actual location yes it's crazy how much of this movie is a set but it has to be built as a set because uh, it doesn't make sense. The space doesn't make sense. Right, right. Yeah, there are definite inconsistencies. Also, I, I think that almost feeds into like the cabin fever too, because this because I, I noticed that way back that the layout of the the hotel and their their path through the hotel don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it was most obvious at the point where. Shelley Duvall is going up the stairs at the end with a knife. Cause I, I couldn't understand where, why she was going that way. <laughs> right. And if you follow the path of uh, where Danny, and I know people have made maps of this where he rides his big wheel or trike yeah. or whatever it is. Um, the, the turns that he takes and the directions he goes would not be consistent with what we were shown earlier in the film. Oh, yeah. There's doors that go nowhere. Yeah. Stuart Ullman's office couldn't possibly have a window. That's another one that people right. do like to point out. Uh, the big gold room couldn't possibly be in that place. Right. Right. Uh, the labyrinth, uh, you can't see it in the aerial shot. That's another one because they did actually uh, use uh, exteriors of the real Timberline Lodge in um, right. Oregon. Up in Canada. Uh that one's in Oregon. Um, that is was it? That was in Canada. No, it's in Mount Hood. Yeah, we we dug into this previously, but it's um, it's still there. It's still a thing. But um, but uh, I, you watch it like uh, the labyrinth maps onto the hotel, uh, sort of um, symbolically. The the hotel is the labyrinth. Oh, I guess that would make sense too. <laughs> yeah, you can match up at events and places in the hotel. Uh, and if you watch the layout of the labyrinth, the different times you see it is different every time. Oh, oh. yeah. 
Yeah, I know the model. That. Yeah, the model is different from the one we see them in. Yeah. And I when, when you see when you see the big uh, yeah. So so when you see it in daylight and he's showing uh, what's his name, Orman is showing them around. Right. Uh, you go around the side of the labyrinth from the hotel, and that's where the entrance is, or entrance exit is. And there's a there's a bush, and then in front of that there's the map of it. Right. And then uh, at the end, when Danny runs into it, the entrance is around the other side. It's across from the hotel. Oh, yeah. Also, if you look at the map, it's this like a, you know, uh, it, it's not really a overall pattern to the labyrinth. Right. But when you see the overhead shot where uh, 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 Wendy and Danny are running around in it, right. and, uh, Jack's looking down into it. It's a mirror, four-way mirror. Right. Uh, it matches top and bottom and left and right. Now there are yeah. there are theories about that, and the, and one of the theories is that that was deliberately done because there's so much use of mirrors in the movie. Yeah, a lot of mirrors. And Every time Dax sees a ghost, there's a mirror. There's a reflective surface. Right. And uh, and it's usually an actual mirror or at least uh, polished steel, you know, like stainless steel yeah. in the kitchen. Um, and and we're we're also. Uh, we're given a lot of stuff with numbers too, which uh, there are <laughs> there are a lot of theories on this stuff. But uh, but um, one of the theories, in addition to um, like using that to show a mirrored thing, another another thing is that uh, props moving around or appearing and disappearing in yeah. in different areas is meant to um, give us impermanence or a disoriented feeling. Now, do you think that? somebody as meticulous as Stanley Kubrick would allow that stuff to happen by accident. It almost there's seems a lot of that stuff. Yeah. There's lights go on and off. Right. It has to be deliberate. I, yeah. just, I just can't believe that anything like that would get by a guy like him. So, um, and they had a very good continuity person on the film. I also understand. So, Yeah. Although I heard that Kubrick was really cruel to the actors. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Not actually with my students. At so we were talking about, uh, um, cause one of their projects was to do a reverse storyboard where they took a movie or a TV show that they liked and storyboarded about, you know, 30, um, storyboard panels as an exercise. And somehow we got to talking about uh, The Shining and my class loves to digress. And um, so one of my students had mentioned that, uh, you know, we were just talking about how few things Shelley Duvall, you know, we've seen her in after this, although I guess I just haven't seen it. But uh, they had also mentioned that uh, she was traumatized by... Um, Stanley Kubrick in The Shining. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to want to push her to the edge to get a to get a very um, uh, vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to to bring out that yeah that that just spent, um, exhausted and vulnerable uh, mood. Uh, so he might have been that way anyhow, but he was definitely more so that way on her. It didn't seem like he bothered Jack very much because uh, Jack Nicholson was a very established star at the time. And, uh, I don't think he wanted to risk, you know, either getting a bad performance 
or, you know, any pushback or maybe, you know, have the guy walk off the movie or, or be too difficult to work with. But he definitely picked on Shelley Duvall. There were some scenes where she was just at her wits end and, you know, chain smoking and sobbing. <laughs> um, it does seem that she does have some mental illness that she isn't treating. And um, whether he did damn permanent damage to her, I doubt. I mean, she probably was going to like uh, go down that road anyway. And if, untre- and if untreated any, any mental illness, uh, whatever it is she has, whether it's schizophrenia or whatever, um, yeah, it, it couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't have done her any favors, but I doubt he like broke, <laughs> I doubt he broke her. But if, if well, in, it, the, uh, in the little video by uh, Vivian uh, Kubrick, uh, she has a bit with Shelley Duvall who says that she hated it while she was on set, but she understands why Kubrick did what he did to get her performance. And she sounded like she was, she was okay with it more or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she uh, surfaced in the last year or two um, because I guess that Dr. Phil, I'm making air quotes, Dr. Phil show had her on Mr. there. Mr. Phil. Yeah, Mr. Phil just doesn't have the same <laughs> ring to it. Um, apparently he had her on the show and she seemed not well. And uh, it just seemed like she was battling a mental illness without medication. And that's just mm-hmm. not how you should do it. Um, but uh, somebody who um, I listened to on a podcast, I'd have to pull the name up, but he was um, one of the people who worked on the Toy Story animations is a huge Shining fan. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but uh, this particular guy was just like, hey, you know what? Um, I've tracked down a lot of things and I've interviewed a lot of people and I've bought props that were used in the movie and scripts and so on and so forth. Apparently, um, he met with Shelley Duvall down in um, the Austin, Texas area where she lives And he said that she had good long periods of lucid conversation, but you could also see her on the fringe at times. So she just isn't entirely well. Uh, But uh, this was, you know, young enough uh, point in her life to where that probably wasn't quite the issue yet. But yeah, Stanley Kubrick just pushing people to the edge. Now, Scatman Carruthers, not somebody who was suffering from any mental illness, but was pushed to his wits end because they did something like 148 takes of, oh. of uh, him and Danny having the conversation over ice cream in the, in the kitchen. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and the people who were working with him were like, we don't know what he was looking for. <laughs> the shot is perfect. It's beautiful. You know, their eye line to each other is perfect. And, and, uh, the conversation is, is, um, it's a very important part of the movie, but again, 148 takes, how different were the other 147, <laughs> 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 but it broke some record at the time. And there might've been other things that have surpassed it, but it's, it, it was a record. <laughs> so yeah. That's bananas. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Danny Lloyd as a kid, you know, did an excellent job, you know, for him to just keep, uh, doing take after take, that must've been difficult for a kid, you know, cause kids have a, a different 
pace and a different attention span than adults. They they talked about him on the movie too. He seemed really sharp for a five year old. Yeah. At, in his interviews, and then uh, they said he was a real champ. He just took all those takes. He just went with it. He didn't. Yeah. You know, break down or cry or anything. It was you know, it was fun so, for him. How many takes do you reckon they? Uh, go ahead. How many takes do you reckon they were doing on Lost Empire? Uh, <laughs> two maybe. <laughs> They forgot to, you know, take the lens cap off on the first one. <laughs> That's a real Ed Wood situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So um, is there any part of this that you feel like, <clears throat> considering that they probably had many, many takes of every single scene of this movie, is there is there anything that visually doesn't work for any of you? doesn't that doesn't work that you think they could have done differently or better i there's that when that the uh, uh the river of blood scene yeah what's that the elevator doors they open really peculiarly yeah. it kind of you know every elevator i've seen at, or lift as we call them in england mm-hmm. uh, the door was like part from the center right but when yeah scene it's just the left hand side opens to the right it was a miniature right yeah uh-huh the left hand door opens to the right and then the blood starts coming out and something flops down onto the floor and you can't see what it is well ceiling tile or something i've always thought um i have seen some elevator doors that are like an they're like a closet door like an overlapped closet door okay and it and it swings open from the left or right and the one door folds behind, not folds, but disappears behind the other one. Much but like we a, actually never do see anyone using <laughs> the elevator at all in that the whole movie, do we? No, no, no. I think so. <laughs> and if you were if you were staying on the second or third floor of a place, I would say it would be a smart idea if you're up there for the whole winter to just stay out of the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> like if the power is if the power is flickering and you live in an apartment building are you taking the elevator you know probably gonna take the stairs but even like when the the hotel was open at the beginning of the movie you know yeah yeah there's the yeah, there's so much crazy going on in this movie that like we could talk about like any, literally any particular scene and come up with a lot of crazy stuff um I like to direct people to this particular website called johnny's53.blogspot.com and it's spelled j-o-n-n-y-s-5-3.blogspot.com. Now, when you go into this guy's, uh, and he originally put this up in the early 2000s, um, but he's got some entry from uh, June of 2007 where he talks about the different numbers in the movie. And I like to point this out, whether you buy into crazy conspiracy theory or not, if it's, if it's on screen in the movie and you can count the thing on the screen and say, yep, there's that number again. Yep. There's that number again. Hey, look, there's that number again. Then there's something to it. It's like, it's not just coincidence that so many conspiracy theories. Well, not so much conspiracy theory. Subliminal. You know, what they call Easter eggs sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. The subliminal 
clue or something to that you're unconsciously you register but it, and it kind of plays on you unconsciously but you don't right. know what conscious meaning is well, it would it would become conspiracy theory when you start to say this proves that Kubrick was confessing to uh, faking the moon landing. Oh, okay. that would that would be where it gets into that territory. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm not with. I don't follow that one. <laughs> no, but um, but most of the stuff is is like um, the number twelve for whatever reason you know pops up um, several times in the movie, and it'll be something like. How many times Jack hits the bathroom door with the axe or, or that room two, three, seven, which was not the original room number, um, in the book, uh, adds up to 12. Um, let's see, uh, the two times. probably the thing that upset Stephen King the most, huh? Changing the door number, (laughs) probably, (laughs) um, Jack throws the, there's a general thing of mirrors and twinning right because it, uh, there's so much in this is like a, a a loop of historical and physical things happening over and over and uh so uh and you have the, the actual twins and mirror images um so i noticed uh, uh danny when he's doing the shining into a mirror uh and seeing the river of blood I think the first mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a shirt, which says four, four, two on it. It's a sports shirt with 42 on it. Yeah. Yeah. So for, uh, that comes up too. Yeah. So, but so you could, you could say, uh, well, the two, uh, two twos become four. Sure. Um, and you could say that, uh, he's, uh, the twins are, uh, they kind of represent him uh, it, as a kind of a twin reflection. Sure. In the story. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Uh, you could take the number 12 and say, well, you've got a one, and then you double the one, and it's a two. Right. And there is. If you want to go on the numerology route. Well, sure, yeah, because he's wearing an Apollo 11 uh, sweater. So you got, you got the two ones there. Um, you mentioned the number 42. Well, yeah, he wears that on his, uh, excuse me. He wears that number 42 on his t-shirt. Like you said, um, there are, if you, if you freeze frame and count it, there are 42 vehicles in the upper parking lot before Jackson, (laughs) before Jack's interview. I'm not kidding you. This guy has done all this work. Uh, uh, 42 vehicles in the parking lot before Jack's interview. Wendy swings the bat 42 times. Tony says red rum 42 times. Um, the last nine times are Danny's voice changing back from the Tony voice, but still 42 times. Um, do you know what movie there that Danny's watching on the TV? Summer of 42. Um, oh. yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's just crazy. Um, when you, uh, let's see. As she walks toward the Colorado lounge with the bat, Wendy steps on the wood floor 42 times. You can count it. And it's, uh, let's see, uh, during the, uh, Mr. Ullman's tour, there are 42 windows that could be seen on the overlook, um, before he shows him the snow cat, that scene. Uh, so just stuff like that. Like 
I don't know why this guy noticed the number 42 and started looking for 42s, but there's a ton of 12s, uh, a bunch of 21s, a bunch of 24s, and a bunch of 42s. And 1921 is the date of the uh, party photo, right? Yes. Yeah. J- July 4th, 1921. Yes. That's right. And, uh, yeah, there's um, 21 pictures on the wall in the final shot. Um, I don't know. There's just so much of this stuff. Like you can, like I said, you can go to Johnny's 53 blog spot and, uh, and read through a, some of them are stretching a little bit more than others, you know, but like when you say this number plus this number plus this number equals that number, it's like, well, yeah, why are we adding? Why aren't we multiplying? Why are you know? Yeah. Yeah. Never bought into those, but yeah, when you, when you see like, there's 42 windows and they're watching summer of 42 and uh, there's like the number 12, you know, that there are, <laughs> there are 12 rugs in the Colorado lounge where Jack is typing, you know, there's, okay. Some of these are coincidences, I'm sure, but uh, I don't know, man. Um, but Dick Halloran talks about how many turkeys and how many pork roasts and how many bags of sugar and all that stuff. You know, there's, there's 12s and 24s throughout that. I don't know. <laughs> what is it? What does it do to us? I, I don't know that it changes anything about the movie, but it's there. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's, it's a subliminal thing that if you start uh, absorbing patterns, then it just makes it creepier too. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's probably some mirroring and some symmetry, um, here and there that don't do any one big thing, but they do small things that contribute yeah. to a bigger thing. Well, and, and the whole symmetry aspect of things, I think like, you know, in art school, you're, you're studying, uh, uh, composition, right? Right. And like a lot, a lot of, uh, artists like Wes Anderson, for instance, kind of purposely break, rules and make things symmetrical and things like that which is kind of unsettling so i know for a fact my wife hates watching any of his movies because of that you know that he's so deliberate about breaking all these compositional rules so you know having something like that in the shining you know probably helps to unsettle you because you don't like looking at the symmetry and things Mm. yeah kubrick loves that one point perspective doesn't he yeah Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's. It, I, I don't. That doesn't make me uncomfortable as much as the symmetry. <laughs> yeah. Um, Centering, you know, not not obeying the rule of thirds or the golden rule or whatever, you know. Right. And and uh, and using uh, such great cinematographers and and such incredible equipment makes the stuff even more lucid and clear and in your face, you know, when, when you're doing a, uh, when you're doing some sort of a, uh, a zoom in or a, or a pull out from something and you're using a steady cam, uh, back when that was a new technology, it, it yeah. looks even that much better or, or that much more glaringly one pointy. If, if you're paying attention to the one point perspective, but uh, yeah, I just pulled up a picture of the um, of the elevator, uh, a still photo of the elevator scene. It does look like it's the overlapping doors that one goes behind the other. 
Like that's the st- yeah. the style of door that they're using. And uh, probably wouldn't have been an original 1920s building, but uh, you know, it could have been like a retrofitted elevator from like the 60s or 70s when that was a more popular style of door. Uh, but by the way, if you did, I'm sorry. Did it, did it still have that, uh, that gate, that collapsing gate on the outside of the elevator door? It doesn't. The elevators in the, uh, in the lobby do. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, But not in the corridor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember that there was one that had that, but then it wasn't the one that the blood was coming out of, was it? No, it's the one where where Ormond's taking them on a tour and they come out into the uh, Colorado room. Right. Oh, so they did go on the elevator then? Yeah, just in, just in that scene. Okay. Right. Well, without getting uh, too much into more of the kookiness, um, th- there's a, another part on on uh, Johnny's uh, Johnny's fifty three blog spot that talks about time codes and durations, and how there's an actual symmetry of different types of scenes front to back on the movie. So that's another one to dig into yeah. if, if you choose to, but uh, you know, if you don't have it in front of you, it, it's not as, as uh, exciting or believable, but if you dig into it, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, overall, uh, like will, will you mention that this movie uh, when you were um, younger, you didn't find it as scary. You find it a little boring. Yeah. Um, does it get better with the rewatches for you? Yes. I mean, it, it, is it like you're really appreciating the craft of the actors and the cinematographers and the director and all that? Is that kind of what's working for you better? Yeah. And just uh, like noticing the that the layout of the hotel didn't make any sense and things like that. It just seemed... On rewatches, it's it's uh, it's a lot more complicated than than I first thought. You know, of course, I was about eleven when I saw this. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess it really makes a difference what you saw before you saw this, which kind of maybe informs you as a, a watcher of things. You know, like if yeah. if you got a lot of jump scares and you and you're used to them, maybe this isn't going to be. Uh, it wasn't gory enough, right? Exactly. <laughs> Eleven. I love the gory movies. Any of the movies that were gorier, we watched over and over again. The Shining, not gory. No, no, not very gory at all. I mean, it, it makes up for the amount of blood and what comes out of the elevator, but uh, <laughs> what comes out of, what comes out of people, not as much. Yeah, what are you talking about? There's more blood in this movie than any of the other movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like just two, by volume. <laughs> yeah, like two thousand gallons or some crazy amount like that, <laughs> which apparently was very expensive. <laughs> oh man, I believe it's forty-two thousand. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that uh, that you could probably get into uh, you, everything's divisible by twelves and forty twos or multiples of twelves and forty twos if you really want to. Um, yeah, you can you can make yourself crazy with math if you choose. I won't. <laughs> Not such a big fan of it. Um, how about the ending? Um, did the ending work for all of you? Like 
it it finally winds up uh, bright daylight. We see frozen Jack, and then we pan into the photo. Was that a mind blower yeah. for anybody the first time you saw it? Uh, I think by this point, I'd seen a film called Burnt Offerings. Oh, yeah. Uh, 70s haunted house movie with Oliver Reed in it and a, and a, yeah. a little boy. Uh, and that ends up in, with a photograph gag, which is very similar. Huh. And that, yeah. that predates this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it, when did the book come out? I think Burnt Offerings was 74. Okay. I was going to guess 76. I remember a friend talking about it back in the day. But yeah. I remember seeing it, but I don't remember anything about it. I remember the title and that's it. <laughs> right. I was terrified by it. I saw it on TV the first time and it was on the commercial channel. And I was so glad that the adverts came on because I was so scared. <laughs> like the adverts gave you a bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently, the um, the uh, the frozen uh, Jack that we see is not Jack Nicholson sitting perfectly still with makeup. That's that's a mannequin, you know, reproduction of Jack, which what? yeah, oh, nice. looks really good. And um, uh, that I thought was kind of uh, it was kind of weird because we saw so much blue. Uh, you know, wintry blowing snow stuff. And, and then finally we get this still brightly lit daylight moment where he's, you know, just frozen and dead. And, it, and it's filmed in England and all that snow is salt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, oh, really? Dairy salt, they called it. And, and you know how the, uh, how I mentioned the, uh, the maze maps onto the, what happens in the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the previous time we see him unconscious, he's in the larder and he's lying on sacks of salt. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. Same salt. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, yeah, they they brought in probably 42 tons of that salt. <laughs> 42 tons. Yeah. 42 tons. <laughs> yeah. They originally started with 21 tons, but then they had to do it twice. <laughs> yeah, they had to fit it onto 12 trucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they uh, apparently this was um, it was not good for f- uh, film equipment. Um, one of the guys said that it would actually make your boots after you know weeks and months of filming make your boots start to fall apart. <laughs> Just oh wow! Trudging I can around. imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we see that looks like wow, it's really winter, but they pumped in like smoke apparently it was something akin to it was some sort of oil smoke and uh, mm-hmm. and uh everything was um everything that we saw blowing snow was styrofoam pellets everything the uh, snow on the ground was salt like nothing was yeah, it, it, look, it looks great if you watch the making of a documentary and you see those scenes in the snowy labyrinth and then suddenly these crew members walk along and they're just in t-shirts it's really <laughs> jarring it really is <laughs> And well, it must have been bad for the actors because they're all bundled up in warm clothing. It had to be yeah, hot. and they said it's like 90 degrees on the set. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, no wonder Danny was all right without a hat on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he forgot his mittens, and I was worried about him. But then, you know, it's 90 degrees. Oh, with that haircut, you know. 
that's still keeping a lot of heat against his head. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The seventies boy haircut. So, um, I guess we've been talking about this long enough. Uh, does everybody, uh, pretty much recommend this to uh, horror fans who for some reason haven't seen it or haven't yeah, sent you. Oh yeah. wait, we should, we should, uh, do a comparison too about whether we recommend that or the TV made for TV miniseries that was filmed up at the Stanley hotel. <laughs> well, for the fact that so I, I, I... <laughs> For the what fact. do you say, Stan? I get the feeling I know what your answer is. <laughs> There's like only one thing that I was really looking forward to in the miniseries, and they changed it. What was uh, that? It was it was the hedge animals. Cause it, yes. It's not the maze, it's the hedge animals. And the way that they described Danny seeing the animals, it was exactly the way I used to have nightmares, where they wouldn't move while you're watching them. But, you know, when you had your back turned and then you'd look back at them, they're closer and different positions. Mm -hmm. And then in the made-for-TV miniseries, this is like probably pretty early on with the CGI animation, they were like, hey, you know, we have the ability to animate these. Why don't we go ahead and do it? Which was like the worst thing they could have done. The one thing yeah. I was looking forward to in the show, and they changed it to be not scary to me. <laughs> right. They, right. They, they could have just built... Um, static props in several different positions and then just yes. cut away and it cut back. Money too. <laughs> it would have it would have saved a ton of money and it would have looked better. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, and like Jolien said, this is essential viewing for horror fans. And if for some reason they haven't seen it, they should, but then afterward do a little research on, on uh, how it got made and, and what went into it. And it's, it's, it's very, very dense material. <laughs> Well, I don't even think you've got to like ask our opinion, just like how it's influencing um, entertainment and it's, it's enduring nature because um, you know, what last Super Bowl, um they had uh, a shining ad with uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Which I was like, well, that's kind of out of the blue. It's kind of fun. I liked it. I mean, it's certainly kind of our generational thing, but uh uh, I thought it was kind of a weird thing out of the blue. And then it was something that was also referenced in uh, Ready Player One as well. Yeah, yeah. Best scene. <laughs> yeah, it's stunning, like, how how this does endure, like, 40-plus years later. Um, uh, and, and it's not a coincidence that the Pixar films have a lot of references. You know, the Pixar animations have a lot of references because um, – the the guy who uh, who I was talking about that has all the uh, the stuff collected and had interviewed Shelley Duvall and all that stuff. He runs a website called theoverlookhotel.com. dot com. And okay. and uh, here I can let's see, I can look up his name for you real quick. But he was a <clears throat> he's a Pixar animator and um, he's really got. Um, an obsession with this movie and he's got a deal with Tashin books to put out a very, uh, in-depth book about the making of the shining, the legacy of it and all this stuff. Like all the, he has like a lot of ephemera. Let's see. We are talking about Lee Unkrich, U N K R I C H. He, yeah. So he's uh, he's a Pixar guy. And so he's got those Pixar bucks. He can buy things like Danny's Apollo 11 sweater 
and, you know, a, a screen used prop axe and things like that. He, he actually owns some of this stuff and has put it on, uh, he, he's put at least some of this stuff on permanent loan to the traveling um, Stanley Kubrick exhibit that you can go see. I wonder see. if he loans, uh, owns the uh, license to the carpet pattern because I've been seeing that a lot mm-hmm. in merch um, as, you know, the last few years. Um, yeah, I wonder if Warner is just not enforcing anything on that because I've seen a lot of it too. Uh-huh. It's kind of... Car- copyright a carpet pattern? <clears throat> yeah. Yep. That's uh, art licensing. Yeah. Okay. But maybe they found something that already existed and no one had the copyright. I don't or know. maybe someone is making licensing dollars on all these things. Totally possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I would say that uh, it, yeah, it doesn't really matter if we recommend it or not. People should definitely seek this out. If, if you're a fan of cinema, if you're a fan of horror, there's no reason you shouldn't see this or have already seen it several times. But, uh, yeah, the, the obsession that goes into it and the obsession that people have about it is, is really amazing. (laughs) Not a lot of stuff gets this kind of a weird following. Yeah. So I understand HBO is now coming out with a shining series. Yes. What? No, I, what it's, what it's about. Uh, I would watch something about obsessed fans. As long, as long as it's better, as long as it's better than Room Two Thirty Seven, <laughs> some of that stuff was really reaching. But oh, uh, what was I, I didn't even know about this Room Two Thirty Seven. Yeah, it's a documentary about uh, different theories about The Shining. Oh, okay. And some of that stuff is straight up kooky. <laughs> Although we're living in a kooky world, so. Where people God, yeah. just about anything. So, hey. Yeah, knock yourself out. Our next episode, <laughs> so we, we uh, missed recording um, an episode, but we're going to circle back around to, um, we're going to swing the pendulum hard in the other direction, and we're going to talk about Ki- <laughs> Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, or Attack of the Phantoms, or whatever the title of it is you want to go with. But it's uh, it's a a terrible was it 1978 kiss uh-huh. it was kiss at the height of their powers and apparently on the decline as far as having some cohesiveness with band members and yeah, this is ju- jumping the shark on film oh for sure they jumped the shark <laughs> big time and um have you guys done <clears throat> on velocipaster yet <laughs> <laughs> but do you want to come back for that one no, no, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I've oh, nor have I. That I need to watch it though. Yeah, I think I'll watch that one. <laughs> yeah, you said that, Will, but are you going to really watch Velocipaster? <laughs> I sat through three from hell. I can sit through anything. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But you also sat through Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. So. Oh yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah, that's Velocipaster's like a- nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where Kiss could have just released a movie showing them getting ready and going out on stage and tearing it up and excited fans and everything. They could have just done a concert movie. No, better idea. We're going to write a really crappy script and have Hanna-Barbera be the uh, production company behind it. Well, I also watched Scooby-Doo and Kiss 
this uh, rock and roll mystery. Way better, way better movie, right? (laughs) I haven't seen it, but, but it's a way better movie, right? Yeah. I've still got it on my uh, recorder. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Shame you can't come around and see it. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, because Kiss thought it was better to have the people who made the fucking banana splits make their movie. <laughs> and, well, you know, there is a whole Scooby-Doo tie-in, so it makes sense that... Maybe... Yeah, the Scooby-Doo one's much more entertaining. Well, it's it, I think it's better all around, and it's actually generally funny. And it is Hanna-Barbera, so... Hmm. Yeah, and it's got a lot of Jack Kirby in it, too. <laughs> Oh man! So, so were you talking about the original Banana Splits or the recent horror movie? Banana I've not Splits? seen that oh, recent no. horror movie. Is it any good? Do you know? Have you seen it? Well, I think what they, they they were originally planning on making a Five Nights at Freddy's movie, and something fell apart with that, so they ended up making the Banana Splits instead. Oh, okay. So, but I, I haven't seen it yet, so I don't really. And I've heard nothing, no reviews on it either, so I don't know if it's good or not. <laughs> Yeah, a, a friend of mine who grew up on the same stuff I did said, oh, my God, did you hear about this? Have you seen it? And I haven't. Did you, did you notice uh, one of them is in the Kiss Meet, uh, the Phantom of the Park, whatever it's called? <laughs> one of the banana splits. Oh, really? One of them's in it? Yeah, there's a head There's a head of uh, Flegel is in the laboratory. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch that. Yeah, that's... We're talking of the original Banana Splits folks then, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, guys, I know you probably need to eat dinner and, and uh, get on with your lives. So uh, uh, shall we call it a show and uh, come back and talk about a real masterpiece next time? Stanley <laughs> <laughs> Kubrick's Kiss Pizza from the Park. well thanks for inviting me to join you guys thanks for coming thanks a lot Stan it was awesome and tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to get their uh, uh, My Little Pony or Zombie uh, caricature done well you can just go to zombicatures.com it's uh, Z-O-M-B-I C-A-T-U-R-E-S dot com or if you can't remember that just my name Stanyan dot M-E there it is probably the easiest way to find me cool 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 well um i hope our listeners seek you out and uh employ your services uh while we've got some quiet time and they can sit still and uh, get a good picture yeah (laughs) yeah we could do it live (laughs) or that yeah they could zoom in with you a zoom drawing of you (laughs) that's right all right well guys thanks a lot uh for doing yet another quarantine zoom meeting and listeners thank you for listening See ya. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. Night.